There are times when contrast makes a really big difference. When uh, you hadn't noticed something until it's contrasted with something else. So you have one thing and then it's put up against something else and you can see the difference between the two. Maybe uh, at some point you have been reading in the afternoon, late afternoon as it gets into the evening and you were reading and it's getting a little bit darker but you didn't really notice that because you were just sitting and reading in a comfortable chair. You hadn't thought to turn on the lights because the sun was streaming in through the window. And as the light begins to fade, the transition is slow enough that you didn't really notice the difference between when it's now almost dark and when it had been bright when you first started until somebody walks into the room and flips on the light and suddenly you go, Oh, wow, I didn't realize how dark it had gotten in here until you turned on the light. That's what wisdom literature does for us. In the Bible, there are passages, often in, in, in Proverbs, some of the Psalms, and uh, in other places where uh, the Bible is written in a way that it, it just shows you what it wisdom is. And what folly is, what foolishness is. And it's written in a way to contrast so that you can see uh, this is foolishness, this is, is not good, and this is good. And by putting the two side by side and comparing them, you can see just how bad this one is and just how good that one is. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said, they content themselves with making mud pies in the slums, because they can't fathom building sandcastles at the beach. It's that kind of a contrast. And that's what we see in Psalm chapter 36. And so if you'd turn with me to Psalm 36, I'd like to read this for you, and then we'll start at the beginning and work our way through it. Psalm 36. To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. As we start this psalm, it, it, he, he begins by giving us this header that, that, um, that this is a psalm that is by David. And that David himself identifies, I am a servant of the Lord. 
I am a servant of the Lord. He doesn't write that at the beginning of all of his psalms. He doesn't even put his name at the beginning of all of the psalms. But in this case, he wants us to know that this is David who's writing this psalm. And and we are not to think of him in this psalm as the king. But we are to think of him in this psalm as a servant of the Lord. That That's who he wants us to think of him as and who he wants us to identify as as well. That we are servants of the Lord as we come to this psalm. Okay, And that, that's going to be important as we get into this and we, as we begin to see how should we put ourselves into this. How should we see this as we are singing it, as we are reading it. David is a servant of the Lord. And then he begins, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. That's a strange way to start a song, isn't it? It's a strange way to, to, to start a song of praise, talking about, first word, sin. Sin. Sin is speaking uh, deep in the heart of the wicked person. It, it's it's, it's uh, calling to them. Hey, hey, I have an idea. Hey, hey, you know what you should do? But it's not that audible voice, right? It's not the audible voice of, of somebody that's, that's talking to you. It's, it's coming from deep within their heart. From, it's, it's rising up from within them. This is, this is a person who is wicked. And from within them, from the wickedness that's within their heart, it's, it's calling them, urging them on. And a person like this has no fear of God. They have no healthy respect for who God is. And so when those urges arise in their heart and it's pushing them, it's compelling them, oh, I really must do this thing, this sin, this transgression, this wickedness, as they're thinking about that and considering that there's no check in place. Right? Some of you... um, some of you may have uh, issues with self-discipline, and so you have to put checks and balances in place, right? So that you write yourself a note, don't eat the cake, and you put that on the cake in the fridge. Next step would be to get rid of the cake altogether, but we're not there yet. We're just reminding ourselves right now, don't eat the cake in the fridge, right? I just, I need that check so that when I open the fridge and I'm looking for a snack and I go, oh, that cake looks good, but I have a note that's just reminding me, it's flagging me. There's just a little check. Maybe, maybe eat the apple instead. Right? So, sometimes we need that check. And what this is saying is there is no fear of God for them. There's no check to this. There's no thinking, oh, you know what? God wouldn't, God wouldn't be happy about that. And so when this thing rises up in them, when, when this, this thing is urging them on in this wickedness, they just move right forward. They don't pause. They don't stop. There's no hesitation. There's no conscience going, ah, you know, not a great idea. They just move right on forward because there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't see anything that should stop them. Sometimes I have to remember that when I'm talking with somebody. Because I, I grew up in a family where we followed God and was ta- taught these things from a very young age. And so there are some things that I just consider to be uh, common sense. 
that you shouldn't do that, that's sinful, and that the results of that would be not be good. And I just consider that to be com- common sense because of the way that I was raised, but for them, I have to remember their worldview is completely different. They weren't raised that way. They don't have the same morals and standards put in place for them by God. And so they have a different way of living entirely. And so when this thing rises up within them, there is no fear of God to stop them from doing it. They don't see a reason to not do it. And so they just move right on forward. In fact, it says in verse 2, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Isn't that interesting? He, he, he moves forward in the sin. It, it calls to him from deep within. It urges him from deep within. And he moves forward in it. And he, he flatters himself because he goes, you know what? Nobody would find out about this anyway. No one will find out about this. I may as well just do it. He believes that his iniquity, his sin, cannot be found out and hated. No one will find out about this, and even if they did, they wouldn't care. Or shouldn't care, or something. I can do this, and there won't be any consequences. No one will ever know. No one will ever hate this thing that I am doing. I don't hate this thing that I am doing, and no one else will possibly do that. And they flatter themselves. That's what it says. For he flatters himself in his own eyes. The fear of God is not before his eyes. What is in his eyes is this um, self-flattery, this this self-promotion. This, you know what? I am so great, actually, that no one would find out about this. And because no one would find out about this, there will be no consequences of this action. No one will hate this. No one will know. And so I may as well just do it. And they flatter themselves. Last year when the Me Too movement was coming out, really big deal, right? And you find all of these men surprised. What were they surprised about? That they got caught. They had told themselves this lie, this self-flattery. I am so important. I am so great that what I am doing will never be found out and hated. And what are they finding out? Everybody's finding out and everybody hates it. Oh, you can deceive yourself and speak lies to yourself and tell yourself no one will know that thing that you're doing in the dark, that thing that you're doing at night. That thing that you're doing when you're all by yourself, no one will know about this. No one will hate this. But guess what? It will come to light. It will be found out. It will be hated because that's what sin is. It is a despicable, hateful thing. But he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. 
He just keeps doing whatever he wants and you just look at it and go, what are you thinking? I was just doing whatever I wanted. Whatever came up in my heart to do. Don't you know what will happen? Oh, no. No, there won't be any negative consequences to this. You're just old-fashioned. Stop being such a stick in the mud. It'll be fine. He plots his trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good, and he does not reject evil. It is just at night when, when he's thinking, as he's falling asleep, and in the morning as he, he's waking up, he's going, oh, I have an idea. And he's plotting trouble. Trouble doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a person should plot. Uh, You could use a different word. Instead of plot, you could say plan. I'm planning. Why would you plan on trouble? That doesn't seem like a good idea. And it isn't. It's not wise. He's ceased. He's stopped acting wisely. He's stopped doing good. There, there are times when I see somebody that is about to do something. I'm like, what are you? That is not a good idea. That's just not wise. Sometimes you watch the videos that the people are amazing videos, right? And they do these really incredible things. And I just watch it and I just hold on to my chair or the, the, my desk. And I'm like, whoa. That was not smart. That was not... No one should ride their bike on that path. That doesn't count as a path. No one should jump from a helicopter onto snow and just fall down a mountain on skis. That just... No. For all of those videos that you look at it and go, that is amazing. That is so incredible. There are fail videos out there of broken and deceased people because this is not wise. And yet this person, they find themselves in in bed just thinking about, you know what I could do? I could do this. And it's the same kind of thing. The physical physical, um, danger might not be there in quite the same way, Right? It's not like jumping off of a, a bridge and into uh, water that may not be quite deep enough. It, it doesn't have that kind of physical threat to it, but, but a spiritual and emotional threat, spiritual and emotional danger, as they think about this sin that they are going to pursue, and they plot, and they plan, and they scheme for how am I going to make this work, and how will I not get caught, and how will no one know? These are, not, these are not good things to be pursuing. Don't continue down that path. If you find yourself ever in the place where you're going, how can I make it so that no one finds out about this? Time out. Stop going down that path. If you have to ask yourself, how can I make it so that no one knows about this? This is not a good idea. It's just not a good idea. Stop doing that. And yet now he has described this, right? In the first four verses, he has just laid this out about this person who is a wicked person, right? That's, that's how we start. The transgression speaks to the wicked person. 
deep in his heart. All of these things, they describe the wicked person. And we can expect, because we know uh, something about the Bible, and we just know there's going to be a contrast coming, right? That somehow this wicked person and the terrible ideas that they have and the terrible things that they do and the destruction that they cause is going to be contrasted with something else. And we're just waiting for that, that point that, okay, now what are we going to find out that it's being contrasted against? I bet it's the righteous person, right? I bet that what he's going to do is he's going to set us up with this evil, wicked person, and then he's going to show us that this is what a righteous person would do instead. Because I've seen that like in Psalm 1 and other places where you've got this really evil person and this really good person, and you go, this, don't go that way, go this way. And so let's see what this contrast is. Verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Whoa. He didn't contrast this with a righteous person like I was expecting. He contrasted this with God himself. You have the wicked person for whom the the fear of God is not before his eyes contrasted with the things that he's doing and thinking and plotting and scheming with God's love. Why didn't he contrast it with with a righteous person? If we... uh pull out of Psalms for just a moment and go to, to uh, Romans chapter 3, we'll see that this, there's a verse quoted in Romans chapter 3 from this psalm. In Romans chapter 3 verse 9 it says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Nope. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, all are under sin. As it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. That no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Not one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In Romans chapter 3, what Paul is saying is that everybody falls in the camp of the wicked person who doesn't have the fear of God before their eyes. And so David, when he's writing this psalm and he's describing this wicked person and the the type of person that follows their urges and stuff, then he can't contrast that with the righteous person. The person who instead is doing everything that is right and keeps the fear of God constantly before his eyes because that kind of a person doesn't exist. And so if he wants to highlight the difference between the foolish way of of wickedness and something good and righteous, he has to go straight to God and say, this is the comparison that we're going to make. This is foolishness and wickedness, and this is the way of the Lord. This is who the Lord is. There is no fear of God before their eyes Romans 3 says in verse 18, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, 
so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Once you know the law of God, once you, that, all it does is highlight that you are in the camp of the wicked. All it does is highlight that you are in the camp of the wicked. But now he does contrast this. In, in Psalm chapter uh, 36, he gives us in the first four verses who this wicked person is and what their way is like. And now he gives us the way of the Lord. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So while the wicked person is just sitting there plotting and doing foolish things, not acting wisely, the Lord has this steadfast, faithful, loyal, enduring love that lasts forever. I mean, look, your love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. All the way to the sky, the Lord's love extends. That's, that's just an amazing contrast to see that, that the wicked person is plotting for their own good and thinking no one will find out about this. At night, in the dark, he's plotting and planning for these things. And then uh, in contrast to that, the steadfast love of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord just keeps on enduring because that is who God is. He is so good. Now, I, I've seen people before that, that appear to be very devoted, to be very faithful, to be very loving, but in fact, they're just weak. Have you seen, seen that before where, where somebody is very devoted, but they're very devoted because they are afraid of consequences? They're afraid of the person that they appear devoted to? This is not who God is. God is not weak. His love is not weak. God is strong enough that He can continue to love in this abundant way beyond what we could think or imagine because of His great strength. It seems to me like sometimes we, we see that, uh, that people just appear weak because they love. It seems like, well, they can't stand up against it. They can't stand up against people, and so they just, they, they just love instead. That is not what is being described here. God has an abundant love because of his great strength, and we see this in verse 6, right? In verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. It's not a, a wimpy love. It is a love that is combined with a righteousness that extends to the highest mountains. A, a, an unattainable righteousness from our standpoint. 
You know, when somebody wants to impress you and they, they want to, to show you what they can do, and so they show you what they... We'll use jumping, right? And so they show you how high that they can jump. You know, wow, that's a, that's a great jump. But then you start putting a bar, right? You start putting a bar. Can you jump over this bar? Can you jump over this bar? And then somebody who's a really great jumper just sets the bar up here and jumps over it and goes... What you got? My, my dad was a, a high jumper when he was in high school, and he said what he used to do is he used to pass on the first couple of times. Right? He'd go, those were just warm-up jumps. And so what I, what I would do is I would just, I'd just pass. 5'8", no. 5'9", I'm not even going to try. 5'10", forget it. 5'11", no. 6 foot. Okay, I'll go do that with my sweats on. I, he wouldn't even take his sweats off yet. He'd just go, he'd jump over the bar, and everybody else would go, oh. Because they're trying, they're giving it their best jump, and he'd just go and he could clear six feet with his sweats on. Okay, that's my warm-up one. Now I'm ready to start competing. God's like, highest mountain, what you got? And we all just look at that and go, that is an unattainable height. That is righteousness in this um, immovable mountain, enormous height kind of a sense that I can never attain or reach. It is beyond comprehension that anyone could be so righteous that nothing within them is self-motivated or wicked or evil or anything has any deceit in it at all. Everything about God is completely and totally righteous. That's the bar. His strength is like a mountain of righteousness, and His judgments are like the depths of the seas. Your judgments are like the great deep. And when I think about the judgments of the great deep, I can't help but thinking of Noah. Where all of these people were so wicked, and here comes the flood of the Lord that sweeps away everything in the whole world. Because the righteousness of God is like the highest mountain, and the waters come all the way up to the top of the mountain. The judgment of the Lord comes all the way up to the top of His righteousness and it just sweeps away everything. Everything is overwhelmed by the judgments of God and His righteousness and His justice that comes like a flood and just everything is swallowed up by the depths of the water. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. And so man and beast, you save, O Lord. The only people, the only things that are going to uh, survive the righteousness and justice of God are those that are being saved by Him from his, through His steadfast, faithful, loyal love. They're the only ones. Therefore, verse 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. The wicked aren't even, small, aren't even smart enough to be afraid of the judgments of God. Those who know who He is, 
take refuge in the shadow of his wings. Have you ever heard that phrase before, taking them under your wing? You, just, you, you put your arm around them and you hold them close. You're, you're going to protect them, watch out for them, show them the way. They're, they're, they're here and they're safe. They're under your wing. This is a, a safe place to be. And the stronger the person, the bigger the person who has that wing extended over you, the safer you are. And so when we're taking uh, refuge in the steadfast love of the Lord, how close and intimate are we with Him and how well protected as His wing is over us. It is a, a place of just intimate closeness and security. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. They, they, just, they just have everything. Everything is available to them. They, they feast abundantly. The, the river of life... Is, uh, the river of delights is just coming to them. The, the picture here is like Eden, where you can eat from, from the fruit of any of these trees. The food here is abundant and the rivers are flowing. And it just, his delights and blessings are flowing to you like a river. And you just receive it. While being so close and protected to Him, you're just receiving the blessings and the delights of the Lord and enjoying Him. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. This river of delights is just flowing to us with this life-giving water that fills us up. And unlike the, the wicked person who, who is in the darkness and plotting and scheming these self-centered things, instead the light has been flip, flipped on and we can see the light because it is His light given to us. And we can see this is how it should be. We should be coming to Him and receiving from Him. And so He, he gives us this prayer in verse 10. O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. This is David, the servant of the Lord, and he's giving us this beautiful wisdom where he contrasts the wicked with who the Lord is and the blessings that come from following who the Lord is. And then he prays to the Lord and he says, oh, oh Lord, would you continue that steadfast love to those who know you? And would you continue to give your righteousness to the upright of heart? So if we go back to Romans chapter 3, we, we read uh, up through verse 20. And now if we pick it up in, in verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. For the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
There is no distinction. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins and it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He has already pulled from this psalm that, uh, to say that there is no fear of God before the eyes of, of those who are wicked and has, it, by using it in this context, put us all in that camp all have sinned, all have fall, fall short of the glory of God. All of us have found our pla- ourselves in a place where we are overwhelmed by the justice and judgments of God in the deep and cannot attain to the righteousness of God at the top of the mountain. And so now he says, but this is the result. That there is righteousness that is flowing to us, the righteousness of God, to us, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe in Jesus, the righteousness of God flows to you. You cannot attain it on your own, but through faith in Jesus, it can come to you. Because He was righteous. Completely righteous. And so His righteousness is imparted to us when we believe. Which is why in in Psalm 36, He prays, Verse 10, O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Lord, would you continue to love till the ends of the earth all those who come to you and would you give them your righteousness? Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. That's, again, just a weird way to end a song. We have this beautiful song that talks about how great, how beautiful, how wonderful God is. His righteousness, His love, His justice, His faithfulness. And how those who come to Him have protection and His righteousness is imparted to them. And He is with them and for them forever. And there's just this beautiful psalm. And you start by talking about how ugly the wickedness is. And you stop, you finish by talking about how the wicked lay dead in the dust. And this, I believe, is what makes this a wisdom piece of of, uh, literature here. He's drawing this contrast saying, listen, people. The Lord is so wonderful. So beautiful. Entrust yourself to Him and come to Him and put aside all that other stuff because it is ugly and it is stupid and it ends up in death where you will never rise again. The Apostle John picks up this same idea in 1 John uh, 1, verse 5. He says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We, we cannot say that we are not sinners. And the light of, of God has no darkness in it at all. So we can't be with him while sinners. But if we come to him and confess our sin, he removes it from us. And fills us with his righteousness so that we might be his people intimately close to him and protected under his wing. Let's pray.